What's up everybody, I'm Alex at generalguybill.com. Welcome to the 23rd episode of the Heart Dance Producer Network podcast. This is a very special episode. So far we had plugin developers, we had French core producers, uptempo producers, tarot producers, raw style producers, even a drum and bass producer. But to be the real hard dance producer network podcast, we're still missing one genre, and that was hardstyle. So today is finally the day where we got the first hardstyle producer, and I'm even more happy about having one of the most versatile and most skilled producers that I know on this podcast today. My guest today is the Australian hardstyle producer Audio Freak. He played every big event you can imagine. He used to be 50% of Bioweapon. And as I said before, he lives up to his name. He is a real Audio Freak. It was a blast talking to him. I'm gonna keep that intro short. Let's get right into the show. Welcome Audio Freak. You're listening to the Hard Dance Producer Network, the number one producer podcast for the harder styles. Hosted by General Geibel. Give us a brief history about your journey as a producer, and especially in terms of hard dance music. Oh, well, that's, a, that's a, a question that goes right deep into the roots of my core because, you know, I always listen to music with the vision of like, hey, how did they do that? You know, what, what makes this thing tick? What makes it work? And what do I really like about it? Because there's a couple of ways that you can listen to music. You can either listen to it really passively and just like, hey, this song is awesome. I want to find more music and, and, and that's it. Um, or put it on repeat. Uh, or there's like, yo, these parts are really cool uh, and these parts are maybe not so cool or and, and how does this work and how does that work? So I, I call this the difference between passive listening and active listening. And when I heard electronic music for the first time, I was very much an active listener. Um, I grew up listening to uh, game music. My parents uh, were into Latin music. Um, and one day um, when my parents were taking me to, um, to a trumpet lesson, uh, I stumbled across some radio station called Wild FM that was playing some uh, happy hardcore. And at that point I was like, what is this? Where can I find more of it? But with the intention of like, this is awesome. I love this part about it. I love this part about the mix. I love what they're doing here. And I guess in a very organic sense, in a very... Um, very low sense, that was the beginning of, of my production journey. After that, I was figuring out like, okay, how do I get this from the radio into a format that I can listen to again? And that started the whole thing about looking at doors and audio editing and whatever. And so then cutting those- I interrupt you really quick. So sure. you already started analyzing tracks and um, before yeah. you started producing, you already started like listening with a very analytical ear to music. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. That was very much a, a part of me um, when I was sort of listening to it. And then, yeah, like, you know, through that process of like active listening and, and analyzing what was going on and what I liked and what I didn't like uh, was the like, okay, how do I extract more? How do I tweak it so that I can do something to it? And, you know, I think when I was like 15 or 16, I started discovering like Cool Edit and Sony um, uh, Acid Pro and all that sort of stuff and, and just cutting up loops and rearranging loops. And it was really, really, really basic. Um, and then at some point, a few years after that, some guy gave me a copy of Reason um, and 
and that is probably where my production journey began, like moving away from just like sampling loops and, and, and manipulating loops and then starting to make things myself and, and whatever. And this was a very, very, very long time ago. Um, at that time, I was very much focused in hard dance music and more specifically in UK hardcore and, and happy hardcore uh, because that was the genre uh, that I was mainly exposed to and that was really excited about, you know, when I was a young kid, just hit the middle of my teens and then listening to that music, I'm like, this is so energetic and it's so fun and, and yeah. whatever. And so I just dived into that. Um, and then it sort of all snowballed from there. Like the, the mind opened as I was exposed to more stuff um, about, I don't know, maybe... 13 years ago, I was exposed to hardstyle and, and experienced hardstyle. And the thing that drew me to hardstyle was how much higher in production value it was compared to the, the happy hardcore that I've been listening to. And I was right. like, this is amazing. I want to learn how to make this. And, and the, the track that really stood out to me then was um, The Power of the Mind from Headhunters, uh, mm -hmm. the climax anthem. And I was yeah. like, yo, I've never heard an atmosphere like this before in any other music. And I'd have been exposed to other music, of course, like drum and bass and, and uh, like industrial stuff. Um, breakbeat and trance or whatever, but nothing quite matched the atmosphere that was going in that track. And I was like, all right, this is what I want to focus on for now. I want to learn how to do this uh, and, and, and started steering my production efforts into doing that. Nice. And um, then, uh, I mean, the, the, the first time I got in touch with your music was still uh, Bioweapon. Right, yeah. Cold Black. When, yeah. when did that start? Well, about that same time, actually. Yeah, about we had known. Yeah, we had known each other from when we were doing UK Hardcore and we, and we were doing it together uh, and separately. Like we ended up like um, at SAE, at the School of Audio Engineering, that, that institute, whatever. And um, we were the only guys that were really focused on electronic music and as well as that, the only two guys that were also sharing uh, a history in, in uh, UK Hardcore. Once uh, I discovered Hardstyle, I got really excited by it and I was like, yo, dude, we need to... We need to do something with this. This is this is awesome. There's, I, I feel like there's a future in this music, yeah. and um, that is when we started Bioweapon, uh, like transitioning away from from that very very small scene of UK hardcore into like uh, what you know trying to imitate what our heroes were doing, like Headhunters and Noise Controllers and Wild Stars, and like yeah, we I want to make this. We want to make this. This is what we're all about. And so that together we started our our hardstyle journey. Yeah, but it was still different at that time. I, I remember because um, that's kind of where I got like really big fan of uh, hardstyle, and then back then Bioweapon um, tracks like Two Worlds Collide and mm. um, Beat Conductor. That was also like really awesome For back sure. then. For and sure. um, yeah, you guys and also Tone Shifters uh, probably you know there was like some something different in the water in Australia back then or something, <laughs> but it sounded different than like what was going on in Holland, at least to my ears back then. Well, I mean, the thing is, I think that's sort of a byproduct of like trying to adapt to something and not quite being able to perfectly imitate it. Yeah. And um, I think that's partially why we had the sound that we had. It was not necessarily that we went out to create something that uh, we wanted to have our own sonic identity, but more like we have our heroes and we're trying to do the best that we can to imitate what they're doing and then filtered through all our experiences of what we had growing up in Sydney, because we're all from Sydney, um, yeah. listening to dance music from there and um, listening to more commercial dance music. That sort of steered the direction of where we were going because tracks like, like Beat Conductor, for example, that vocal could be in like... Um, 
like a Melbourne bounce track, right? That right. could be a house vocal. Um, and, you know, it, it could also be a UK hardcore vocal. And because of like all three of us had that background in UK hardcore and, and we loved like the commercial dance stuff. So I don't know if you remember the Clubheads or Triple Six, like really mm -hmm. old primordial sort of hard house sort of stuff. Um, that was very much in our DNA. So trying to imitate our heroes, but then having this sort of stuff in our, our, our musical foundations really shaped what it was. So I, I don't know if it was specifically in the water, but maybe it was in the radio <laughs> waves and just in our experiences. Right, right. Interesting stuff. So you started then kind of uh, producing with Reason and wh what, are, what are you producing with now? Now I'm on Cubase. Um, like I switched to Cubase oh, a good 15 years ago, maybe more, okay. um, just because at the time Reason was very limited. It was just like yeah. this all-encompassing all package where it was a very modular package. You could import your own samples, but you couldn't have... No audio. Ex exactly. <laughs> yeah. No no audio, no external synths. And so audio editing was a pain. Um, mm. if, you just, if you had a vocal and you wanted to do something with it, it was just such a pain in the butt. And then yeah. once I was introduced to Cubase and sort of like the endless possibilities of having loads of VSTs, external third-party right. synths, um, that sort of changed the game. And, um, you know, this was a long time ago for, for, for um, because now we take all that sort of stuff for granted. Like almost any software has yeah. support for external plugins. But at the time, that didn't really happen. Like fruity stuff was limited. Um, Reason stuff, obviously limited. And then once I discovered Cubase, I'm like, all right, now I can kind of take on the world. Right. And do you use any hardware nowadays? Mm. No, and for the longest time, like I'd always um, been thinking about in-the-box setup. Like so every now and then, I've got a couple of viruses here, like the virus mm. TI, a C, and a power core. Sometimes I'll use those um, just to sort of reinforce something, but because I sort of, for lack of a better word or description, I grew up poor, I couldn't mm. afford all that stuff. So I kind of managed to make my way around it, and then add to the fact uh, that up until recently, um, I did a lot of travel. If I wanted to produce on the go and I really wanted the thing, then I wouldn't be able to do that thing. So I always channeled my workflow to sort of be in the box and to be kind of portable in some fashion. Uh, because since they're expensive, uh, analog hardware particularly, and if you want to use it again and again, or you're traveling, it's just a pain in the butt. Right. So I just sort of like, you know what, as a treat, when I've got enough money, I'll buy it, the virus stuff because it's legendary and use it when I can. Um, but, you know, I've never really lent on it too much and I don't have that much other hardware. Actually, there's one thing that I do have that's hardware that's, that's a little bit different. I've got a Haken Continuum, the half-size one, and I use that every now and then. And that's, that's a little bit different to um, all the other sort of like analog hardware synths and all that sort of thing. Oh, it's a, it's a synth. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a really unique instrument, but... Aside from that, there's yeah. no, you know, hardware. There's no fatsos, there's no right. distresses, there's nothing like that. Yeah. All in the box to try and keep things portable and movable and, and saveable. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you're still on the Mac, right? No, I'm not, actually. Oh, okay, I'm just, that's, yeah. that's why you still got a power core, because... <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, even, even then, like, I, I moved, um, I made sure not to upgrade to Catalina. I stayed on Mojave. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I upgraded to PC earlier this year, um, just after COVID hit, like I sort of reached the limit of what my laptop could do. And then it was like, all right, you know, time to pull the trigger. If I want more power, I can't justify the cost of what yeah. a new Mac would cost. And um, let's build a PC. 
and it's I'd so already funny. been thinking steps ahead. Like years ago, I was on PC anyway, so I was just like, all right, you know, let's just, you know, can can my setup move? Do I lose anything? Not really. So. Uh, yeah, it's so funny. Um, you know, I had like a couple of developers here as well. Um, mm. Like recently, the guy who makes the Tone 2 plugins, you know, Filter Bank and oh, stuff. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. And uh, we had like a big discussion about it. And it's so funny, like five years ago, it would be unthinkable to say I upgraded to a PC. Unthinkable. <laughs> Nowadays, it's absolutely true. Oh, like, absolutely. Going man. on a PC is absolutely an upgrade because mm. Mac turned out to be such a piece of crap. I mean, I just recently bought a new MacBook and I'm like, okay, that was definitely the last one for in my life. Like, I mean, I love the ecosystem. I don't think yeah. anything quite compares to the Apple ecosystem. I've got an iPhone, I've got an iPad. I've still got plenty of MacBooks at home and everything. And, and just being able to sort of transition between them, have everything sort of synced, your keychain, your messages, photos and like your little drive thing. You don't have to set up anything external. If you want word processing software, it's right there. No need to install anything. It's there in front of you. Great. But when you're outside of that ecosystem, even just that a little bit, or you want to do something that isn't following the typical Apple guidelines and rules and whatever uh, limits that they put on you, then you're going to have hell to pay. And unfortunately, that includes us as producers, you know, because there's a lot of plugins that like, I just maybe they didn't upgrade to 32 bit, but they're like essential for your workflow, um, or or just some like esoteric thing that just doesn't exist on Mac. It's only on PC, or vice versa. So yeah, it's it's one of those ones where mm, they and had they had the crown. With the new Catalina, that's that's oh, oh, uh, even worse. Like absolutely, that's even worse. Yeah, for, yeah. Forget about the virus TI on Catalina. You know, that's <laughs> yes. uh, that's dead weight. It's a uh, it's yeah. dead weight. Just a big power weight. Uh, paperweight. So it's just one of those ones where you're kind of like, I understand what they're doing and I respect what they're doing as a company. And from a, a simple experience as a user, it can be awesome. But when you step outside of that boundary, even just a little bit, then, you know, it becomes hell. And unfortunately, that's that's where we live, just right. outside that boundary. <laughs> it is It is what it is, right? Yeah, right. So um, let's talk about soft synths and stuff. What are like your, I mean, like your music is very sound design heavy. And, um, you know, what, what is kind of your go-to shit in terms of like soft synths? Uh, look, it's really dependent because these days I see different soft synths as different tools. And I sort of think about the outcome of what I'm trying to get before I pick a synth. Right. Um, so... Yeah, like I guess if I'm going for something really gnarly and sort of bass and growly and whatever, then it's really hard to beat Serum. Um, yes. And the ease of just being able to sort of just create your own wavetables and then really cool bass sounds in a matter of seconds, right. um, it's hard to beat that workflow. Absolutely. Um, but I don't use that uh, for ups, for example. I don't really use that for pads. Pardon me. Um, if I want like a softish kind of sound that is just basic it's not really so important Silent is great just because of how quick mm -hmm. and light it is I, I always yes. think about CPU usage particularly you know when I was working on a laptop a lot you know you need to think about what what is going to chew up a lot of uh, of processing power or a lot of battery if you don't have right. your about your, your, your um, charger with you so you know Silent is great for it's just basic um, digital pretend analog sounds. So I love to use it for Moog style uh, or Moog style kind of basses or whatever could be done with a Moog, you can kind yeah. of do with it with Silent and, and then some. 
Um, if I want really, really big super saws um, for, for hard style leads, it'd be like for the big saw style ones, I'll use like June 3. Uh, I know I've recently fallen in love with Viper. That wasn't available to me when I was on right. Mac, but uh, now on PC, Viper's, Viper is an absolute winner. Um, just because it's so close to the, the the TI. There's a couple of bits where it sort of falls short, but you know, in a mix, it, it works out awesome. And it's just cool to ha sort of have that and just go without having yeah. to deal with the headaches of, of, of what a virus can bring you. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think what else, Spire sometimes as well. Um, but it, like I said, it really depends on what kind of sound that I'm going for, because all of those kinds of uh, synths, um, they're not one trick ponies, but they're really good at specific things, at least the right. way that I work with them. But if I want something a little bit more gnarly and want to go for more intensive sort of sound design stuff, then usually like I'll print stuff to audio and then start abusing it um, in any sort of which way. And, and then maybe depending on how I'm going to use it, um, maybe create a wavetable out of it and then chuck it back into Serum and stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's really dependent. I guess it's, I have to think about what am I going for? And then go from there. Like these days for Audio Freak, uh, because you know, I have a couple of different projects on the go, uh, for Audio Freak, I usually try and use a lot of FM8. And, and the reason being is very much like a um, sound choice. So the FM8, um, if you, um, it's meant to be a DX7, right? But the cousin of the DX7 um, was a little chip that made its way into the uh, Sega uh, Genesis system or the Sega Mega Drive system. You know, that the, the way that it generated sound uh, was predominantly, or at least music, was predominantly through FM synthesis. Now, the Audio Freak brand, as you've probably seen, is very bright, it's very neon, very colorful, very video gamey. And, and while I've sort of strayed away from that a little bit with the branding, like particularly in the start, that was very much a thing. So when I want to keep that that kind of branding in mind, I go with the FM8 um, with the idea of like, it's going to have a certain rubbery digitalness to it um, because it's very similar to the chip that was used in the Sega Genesis. And then from there, um, that decision sort of shapes the, the way that I um, put in some sounds in the track, which is part of a branding thing. So it's really kind of top-down wow, sort of that's, looking that's, that's into That's a it. very complex thought process. <laughs> but it, it's basically like, my brand looks like this, it yeah. should sound like this. And even if I don't, um, even if it's not deliberate, it's part of my process now yeah. of like, I'm thinking of like how, in, how to introduce a little bit more. So, so there, there's just a little bit of secret sauce in there yeah. that is kind of cool. So I, yeah, these days I, I try and use FM8 for bell sounds and pluck sounds and, and, and all that sort of stuff um, where there's a, quite a bit of attack and it's easy, pardon me, to tweak it and get some other like cool textures out of it. Um, and that will be like maybe sitting there in the foundation of part of a track. Yeah, very interesting. So listen very closely, everybody. The, <laughs> the, um, you know, one, one thing I see, uh, like, especially nowadays, everybody is so obsessed about Serum, you know, right. very obsessed. And there are um, a lot of theories and on um, even on, in the digital world on um, the benefits of using different synthesizers. Definitely. Uh, just for the overall sound, because uh, every one sounds slightly different and everything. So um, what is your take on that? Um, 
is is that advisable for somebody to make everything in serum or would you say come on you know if you want to have like something simple at least use something else every once in a while so you at least uh, get a different flavor somehow and it's I, not I'm like definitely i'm definitely in neither of those camps i mean like if it sounds good do it if it yeah. takes you to a place and you can get there quickly and you feel good about it great um, I'm not really fussed so much on like that pe too many people are using serum or too many people are using face plant or whatever. It it's more like, yeah, are you getting there and you feel happy with it? And then I think of the song itself. Um, yeah. That's mainly what I try and think about these days, um, much more than, than the sound design. I feel like sound design is how you get there, not where you're going. Yeah. Um, and I think about where you're going a lot, like what is the song saying and, and, and does the parts that you've used um, or created help reinforce that vision or whatever. So I just explained about my idea of using FM8 to do things and whatever, yeah. um, just because that was like a branding thing. Same thing should apply, I think, with other people. So whether you're using Serum 24-7 for everything, kicks, claps, hi-hats and basses and leads, or you, you're like, all right, I'm only going to use this for this or this for this. I don't think it matters. Um, if the overall message of your song um, and it, it comes across in a really cool way and it sounds awesome, great. It, it, it don't matter, man. Like, you, listen, <laughs> when you go to a restaurant and, and you eat the food and, and if it's like, if you're eating sushi with a knife and fork, with your hands or with your chopsticks, that don't change how it tastes. You know okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I got you. I mean, of course, the the song is in the first, you know, comes first. But you know, let's let's go to something like acoustic music, right? Sure. So you you record guitars, right? Uh, you played your guitar, and you know, a lot of um, guitarists would for the double track they would pick a different guitar, sure. same amp, same setting, but different guitar sounds sounds mm -hmm. slightly different, gives it another flavor. So, with, oh, there's uh, definite, there's definite value in that for sure. Yeah, there is, there's definite value in that for sure. Um, and and it's good to sort of have a little bit more variety in, in what you're doing. Um, but for the most part, like, and I try and zoom out a little bit. Does it really matter? No, of course. If if you know if your melody is like a piece of crap, it doesn't there really matter if you use like a million different synths and you got totally. like the most expensive synth in the world. Totally, totally, totally. The idea comes first, then the sound. <laughs> right, and then then the thing is like, then it really becomes up to the individual, like what is yes. okay and what's what's not okay. Like, um, yeah, and I totally resonate with the with your your mention of, of guitars and and switching guitars or or um maybe it's the same guitar with different pickups through the same amp right you know it, it can it can make such a um a difference to the to the sound and to the track and i know that this is very much a producer uh focused podcast but at the same time you know i'm very much yeah. of like hey what's the idea you know like right. what d does this reinforce your idea and if it does great and if it's just a little bit of extra nerdiness that that you know isn't so important Okay, let's let's talk about uh, since you mentioned it. Let's talk about ideas. Sure. Um, and let's in particular talk about your track, the grid, because okay. that was that was kind of you know something really new and unique, or at least like something I haven't heard before. Like mixing up this kind of '80s synthwave stuff with hard style, and I mean amazing production overall. Thank you. And it's been copied afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, what? 
was the like how did you come up with that did you at some point say like yeah let's make like some macgyver soundtrack and blend it into hard style or what was the Pre pretty much actually i wanted <laughs> to find an excuse on like how to combine some 80s vibes and then like work it into a set basically yeah. um i'd been um, like a lot of drum and bass does that already, right? Like if you listen to artists like Metric or Scientific um, or even Shock One, um, they mix a lot of like 80s sounding synths uh, into their dance music. And I was thinking to myself, well, why can't I do that? Right. Why can't, why can't I just mix something that's a little bit, you know, away from the usual We'll keep it, we'll make sure the drop is awesome. We'll make sure the drop is solid so that there's no excuse once it drops, it, it feels yeah. good on the dance floor. Um, but I figure people aren't dancing in the breakdown anyway. Right. So maybe we can just like subvert the expectations a little bit and just go in a loft in a little bit of a different direction. And, you know, just because like, I love those kinds of 80s synth wavy kind of vibes. Right. Um, I've been watching Kung Fury at the time and you know the other artists that i mentioned beforehand had already sort of been playing around with drum and bass and 80s kind of sounds and i was like why not <laughs> right what why, why, why not i can i can imagine it's um still probably hard to find the right timing for that you know so you, if you make something like that in the breakdown you the timing has to be right you know you can't make it too long or totally. too short Totally. Uh, of course, if it's too short, you miss the idea. If it's too long, uh, people gonna leave before the drop hits. Absolutely. So, did you had to do a lot of revisions? Did you had to play it out and then maybe go back in the studio and maybe shorten it up and do stuff like that? Or can you remember the process? Or did you? Yeah, totally, totally. Like wh when it came to the arrangement of the track, I actually used uh, Code Black's uh, Pandora as a reference yeah. because Code Black has very expansive and long breakdowns. Yeah. And um, with that in mind, I'm like, this is the absolute limit of how long I can go with the breakdown right. before I lose their attention. The difference is that, you know, Pandora has a fantastic melody that kicks in. So it grabs people's attention right away. Yeah. So with that in mind, I was like, this is, this is what I can do. Um, there's the limit of how long I've got to say something and then go from there and, and, and build something up. So with that in mind, I already sort of mapped out the areas and I do this quite a bit when I, when I produce. I'm always thinking of the dance floor first, believe it or not, even though my music is glitchy and strange, I'm always <laughs> thinking of like, all right, this needs to be here. Uh, this buildup needs to be quite obvious of where we're going. And it, there's a certain amount of times that you can sort of play with uh, before you lose the attention. And um, so yeah, with that in mind, I was like, all right, yeah, let's fill this up, make sure that I, I, it, it says what it needs to say, uh, it gets to where it needs to go, and then it's obvious that it switches and then it's going somewhere else that it's going to be more dance floor focused. And that's the way that I try to construct it. And that's the, actually the way that I try and construct a lot of music. Yeah. Putting a lot of emphasis, pardon me, that white claw, uh, putting a lot of emphasis in, um, in the, the um, obvious transitions to let a, a dance floor person know that we are going somewhere where they want to go and where they want to go is dancing um, right. because that's why they're there. So uh, I do a little bit of tutoring and uh, what I tell the people that I tutor is imagine a person at a festival that has had two pills and six beers. You were trying to get to that person. 
whatever you have to say, um, make it in a way that it doesn't have to completely capture their attention, but when it's time to go and it's time to drop and time to move, that you can get that person moving. Think of that guy. And I always think of that guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good approach. Uh, what I mean, of course, like every track is different and stuff, but what is kind of your um, typical approach when you start a new song? Like you start from a breakdown, you start from a drop, you start from the drums. Uh, just like, you know, how, how do you come up with ideas and then, you know, how do you build up a track typically? So the idea starts from the idea. Now, I know that sounds really stupid, but that that means that I start outside of the studio. So I've got a little notebook. Let's see if I've got it here. Uh, this is my current iteration of my notebook. It's all tattered and all full of, full of notes and everything. And when I've got an idea uh, for a track, I write it down and I explore it on the piece of paper of what I need, where it needs to go and, and uh, what influences and if there's any references and all that sort of stuff. And I make sure that that's on a piece of paper. Once I have that, then I go to the studio to work on that song or to start that song. And then I think of like, all right, what is the real core of this idea? Maybe it is a vocal. Maybe what I'm trying to achieve with the track is something a little bit more complicated. The grid is a good example of like synthwave hard style. Yeah. Um, and, and it all really starts outside the studio. And then once I come here, I'm like, all right, what are the ingredients that I need to get to that place that I pictured to really fulfill uh, and realize what I wrote down on a piece of paper? Um, sometimes it might be sound design stuff where I'm like, all right, well, this track is going to be, and I'm just throwing something out here, uh, it's going to be an up-tempo track, but I don't have any cool up-tempo kicks, so I need to spend some time making some up-tempo kicks, but with the vision that I'm going to use that for this idea. And then, you know, maybe the idea has some scales or keys or whatever that I'm going to, I'm going to be making it in A or F or whatever, and so that directs my sound design session, and then once I've, I've got the ingredient that I need, then I take it back into the, the project, build something around that, um, maybe it's something different. Maybe it's a spoken word track. All right, so do I have a demo of the vocal? No. Do I need, will I get a recording? Uh, no, I need to provide them something. All right, let's start with an atmosphere that's, that the vocalist can record over. So it's really organic and depends on the circumstance of what I'm going to do and what the idea is. I don't think there's been any track that I've made where I've just made a drop and I've like picked a kick that I've used before and then put it into a track and then put some things over it, it never happens. It all starts with like, what is the core thing? And, and the reason why I do things this way is really because for a long time I started getting stuck and I hated getting stuck. I hated ha having half a tune um, yeah. and then just being like, but where does it go from here? Yes. And you know, maybe it's a melody and it's just not being able to put that in a place where it drops nice. Or yeah. maybe it's like uh, this cool little uh, B section that you're going to have for a track and then it just doesn't connect with anything that you've made. So because of that, I really started thinking like, well, my head is too much in the studio. It's too much in programming something. I need to take it out and then think of the whole writing process so that I don't get stuck anymore. And if I get stuck, then it's not necessarily because I've got bits and pieces that just are like fragmented. It's more... Um, the song hasn't told me what it needs, what it needs to, to go somewhere, or maybe it's, I'm stuck because my ears are tired and, and yeah. I can't mix it anymore. I can't come up with a specific drop, but you know, the song is like 90% there. So, yeah. um, 
yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange way of looking at it, but I think it's an important way to look at it, um, to, to really look at the idea and then production techniques support the idea. Right. So from what you said, I take it that once you got your idea, you do some sort of a pre-production, you collect the sounds that you might gonna need, and Absolutely. once you start producing, you just pull from the sounds you made, so you don't make like sounds on 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 the spot so you know oh, working, no, absolutely I I make screech sounds. and i'm gonna make a screech right now or no no absolutely i make sounds on the spot like I, I'm, I'm doing this one uh collaboration right now with destructive tendencies like we're at the last drop the last little 15 seconds of like absolute chaos and um right now like none of the screeches that i've got in the project work um okay. yesterday um like the kicks that i had were not brutal enough and so i made a bunch um uh, right at the end of the session and um yeah, so it, it's really one of those situations where, like, you know, what is the song saying? But you don't know what the song is saying until you've already got the pre-production right. process in, in place. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I think of, like, I took a lot of influence and inspiration from, like, um, from bands when they would record. When, when bands record a song or an album or whatever, there's a huge pre-production process involved. Yes. Maybe they're writing on tour, maybe yeah. they've been you know, working in their bedroom studios and then they go and then just record something and a producer helps arrange it and realize that vision. Um, or, or like a movie, like you, a lot of the times it's difficult to make stuff up on the spot. You know, you need a script, you need a direction, yes. you need a storyboard or whatever. And there'll definitely be moments where things don't go according to plan or something else is better when you see it through the lens or through the day. Um, and the same thing, you know, when I'm working on something, maybe like, like I said, you know, the, the kicks or the screeches or whatever I've come up with uh, beforehand, just not doing it for that last drop yep. or whatever, need to come up with something new. So I'm definitely open to where things can go. I'm never really stuck in, of course, in a way. But you also don't simply start and make everything on the spot. You make sure no, you've no, no, already no, no, some no, material no. done that you can pull from. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, uh, yeah. Because, because I guess I, I guess that also kind of kills the flow a little bit. Every time exactly. you need a snare, you gotta make a snare. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And and that's really important uh, to me, like thinking about the flow and staying in the flow as long as possible. And um, having stuff prepared um, helps a lot. And and not getting too distracted by uh, lots of little things that are, are very important. Um, not getting distracted and just sort of focusing on what you've got to do to sketch out the idea and, and, and go as far as you possibly can uh, is so important. And uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in, in, in working that way. And in terms of sound design, um, are you more that guy who makes like a sound from an init sound or uh, do you also, you know, pick a preset and customize it from there every time? Always from in it. Always, always in it. <laughs> always in it. <laughs> I, I uh, guess that's because, like, more often because than you can not, do it, probably, well, and because yeah, you enjoy also, doing it. Yeah, and I find that actually it's quicker because yes. you know just going with what I mentioned beforehand. Like, I'm thinking about the idea of like, okay, how do I execute this idea? It's so frustrating going through a giant preset pack of like 180 presets, and you're like, oh no, that's not the right pluck. That's not it. That's not it. Oh no, it's oh yeah, maybe. What's the next one like? Nah, they're both crap. That ends up slowing me down so much. So in the end, I was like, all right, what do I need? Oh, I need a bell sound. How do I make a bell sound? Well, I'll do this, do this, do this, yeah. do this, filter that, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, after five minutes, it's there. Do you do you still uh, browse through other presets sometimes to oh, get yeah, inspired? Totally. 
Yeah, totally, right? Totally, yeah. totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah, man, like, there'll be plenty of moments where I'm, like, working on something and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I don't know what I, I it's something, something's missing here. I, yeah. I can't find I don't know the what. Thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So load up, you know, whatever I've got, go through, go through. Yeah, yeah, okay. All of it's crap, but I have a better idea what I need. Right. Cool. And then go for, and, and create something. Yeah. Um, let's uh, maybe talk about a topic which is getting bigger and bigger in our whole hardened scene, and that's ghost production. Sure. What is your take on that? What, you know... Call me! Give me money! <laughs> That's my <laughs> I mean, take I could, I could imagine somebody with uh, your skills and your knowledge. I, I, would, I, I mean, you don't need to mention names, but I could imagine um, for you it would make sense to be involved in that. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And particularly now, as there's not any bookings or other, other ways to make money, I'm, I'm definitely pro-ghost production. What I think is a little bit difficult and a little bit tough is when people either take advantage of the producer um, and that is like uh, pretend like the track is completely theirs and, you know, loaded up in, in, in like a DJ loads it up in their pretend studio and, and goes through the whole charade. Yeah. I don't think that's, uh, that's, that's the best way to go about it or uh, undervaluing the, the work of the producer. So maybe not paying them enough. Um, I'm not, I'm not cool with that sort of thing or what I've s started to see recently is, um, producers hiring ghost producers and then reselling the production off. That's a little bit like, Ooh, Ooh. I haven't heard about that. That one's a little bit like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. But I mean, I can understand that from a business perspective and that's kind of what I, what I think about it. Yeah. Pardon me. At the end of the day, while we might feel very attached to the creativity involved in this music, you still got to pay the rent. You got to keep those lights on. And uh, if a producer um, can figure out a way, can figure out a fair agreement where they can uh, be compensated for their time and effort that they put in the studio and somebody else's name goes on the track, then so be it. Uh, that's how it works. Like you don't know who designed the shell logo. You don't know who designed the Coca-Cola logo. You just know that it's the logo that belongs to a certain company. Um, and that company made a deal with a designer um, so that they would come up with something. And that's the way that I see it. Producers are, in a way, uh, designers. Designers of sound and designers of, 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 of a song. Um, and hey, like if, if they receive the, the right compensation, doesn't necessarily need to be credit, it's the, the right compensation for it that they think is fair, then cool, more power to them. I'm like really 100% with you on that. I always think like uh, people getting way too fast, like butthurt about like, oh, this is destroying our scene. I think, I think it's, it's, it's a bunch of bullshit, you know? Mm, if there's like a producer who dedicated like you know, half of his life to be really good at what he's doing, and uh, he gets a chance to continue doing what he's doing, getting better and getting paid for that instead of like working a bullshit job, let mm. him do it, you know? And if Absolutely. there's somebody who got like, you know, the haircut and the clothes and whatever, but don't know shit, but it's, it's a great performer maybe, you know, it's a win-win. So, totally. Yeah. I'm, but I also seen like, you know, people going really out of their way. They really build studios. They buy like a pair of cheap KRK speakers and like, you know, <laughs> build out a cheap studio, but they don't produce. They just do it for like, you know, the phone thing. For, for the gram. 
yeah. Doing it for the gram. <laughs> I mean, that 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 one I really, really dislike because that's yeah. like literally pissing in people's face. It's like you know, it, it, if you don't little, produce, you know, it, keep it low profile. Yeah, exactly, exactly yeah. right, exactly. If you don't produce, keep it keep it low profile or be honest with it. Like the thing is. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to um, Tiesto's uh, studios in um, Almir. It's got a complex there. Really wonderful, great guys that work there. I wasn't doing anything. I was just visiting because a buddy of mine was was um, well, was going there to to do a little bit of work for him. And whenever he talks about uh, production, he talks about his team. Yeah. And I think that's a really cool way to look at it. it you know, nobody is totally doing everything themselves there is no person on this planet that is the booking agent the marketing guy the dj the producer and the accountant no we all have the different roles that we need to play yes. when you work in a company you've got some guy that's doing accounts receivable you've got some guy that's doing the marketing you've got some guy that's doing the management um and on a small scale we should think about the same thing there's definitely uh, people out there that are more suited to dealing with social media and being in front of a camera and in front of a crowd than there is somebody that has all the knowledge in the world when it comes to distortion and mixing and uh, golden ears. So what is wrong with the one guy who has a strength in one place working with another guy who has the strength in one place? And that's, that's how we work as a society, you know? We should that's work with our been. strengths. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We should work uh, teaming up with people that match our weaknesses, that they that their strength is your weakness or and your strength is their weakness. And that is a good way for a ghost production relationship to continue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a while ago, you made a big statement on your social media that mm. you um, kind of leaving or I, I don't really remember that. Uh, sure. Um, do you want to talk about that? Sure. Um, look, what had happened was, um, so I think it was like end of 2017. Um, I just kind of like hit the end of my rope and um, I was very much burnt out. Very much burnt out. Like, um, I'm the kind of guy that like, okay, when I'm on a stage, it's, it's a different story, but getting to the stage can be quite exhausting. Um, I've told the story once, but I, I think it bears repeating again. In the um, end of 2014, I had the privilege of opening Climax with a uh, buddy of mine, Technoboy. And um, I'd had a pretty tough year that year. There was a lot of shows. There was, uh, I, didn't, I felt like I didn't get enough studio work done. Um, and you know, for me, studio work is very fulfilling. Um, and on the way to Climax, um, like I, I, I flew in from another show from, from Finland. And on the way in the car, I was like, fuck it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because I had such a shitty year yeah. and I, so at least personally, not, not in terms of like bookings and releases yes. or anything. Uh, just as a person, I felt so down and so worn out that I didn't want to do it. Now, obviously I played it like uh, uh, um, people are like, oh, I know you've got to do it, Sam. All right, go uh, and, and all that sort of thing. And, and I did it and I felt definitely felt a lot better for it. But in 2017, that sense of dread and tiredness, that absolute exhaustion of dealing with everything that comes with this life and being part of this scene was just weighing me down so much that I was like, you know what, I'm out, I'm out, I've got to, I, I can't do this anymore. And, uh, well, yeah, that's the kind of, uh, that's the situation. I didn't listen to music, like no music for three months. Um, I didn't come to the studio, I didn't do anything, I just did not 
I was just completely disconnected from music. And then slowly but surely, I started tinkering with some bits. It took me a long time, like, you know, four or five months just to visit the studio. Didn't do anything, just, just to visit the studio. It was, uh, it was a long process. And then afterwards, I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I can do it again. Maybe I can put out music again, but on my terms, the way yes. that I want to do it, uh, rather than the expectations. And it doesn't matter what's in. It doesn't matter what's hot. I'm just going to do it my way. And that's all that matters to me. Just making sure that I feel good within myself and that if people want to book me, then they'll book me for me. Yes. Um, if people want to listen to my music, then they'll listen to my music for me rather than because it's part of a trend or because I've, you know, had management sneak me onto this or work my way up a yeah. certain uh, circle of friends or, or whatever it is. So um, that's kind of like the, 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 the situation. Yeah, I sort of felt very burnt out from trying to conform, even though I wasn't really. And then I realized, hang on, just don't be yourself, be happy. Don't go to the studio if you don't want to go. Yeah. Don't do anything you don't want to do. And if people want to vibe with you, great. If people don't want to vibe with you, fine. You yeah. don't need all the shows. You don't need the most plays. You don't need to make a hit tune. What you need to be is happy. Find your happiness. Yeah, that's that's a very good statement. <laughs> uh, during during that time, like you know, those three months or like five months where you've been out of the studio, uh, mm. did you had that little itching that you want to go back into the studio, or was it like really that terrible that you say like fuck that? I don't feel look it. for the for the first three months it was like fuck that. I'm out. Yeah, totally yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, I was totally out. And then slowly but surely, I was like, oh look, I'm I'm paying the rent on this thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. just, just go and yeah. then just listen to music. You don't have to make anything. And I was coaching myself that way. Yeah. No pressure. Don't need to make yeah. anything. Just, just go and listen. You've got great speakers, you know, right. it's better than the sound system at home. Just watch yeah. a movie or something. Just go and take yeah. it real slow and, and all that sort of thing. So, but I, now, now you're totally back. I mean, I seen you got like already 10 releases or 10 tracks released this year. Like oh, two EPs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, just checked it out on uh, oh my gosh, Spotify. That's a lot. I, wasn't, I wasn't also aware, but you got like two four-track EPs and two single releases, so... Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> back, back on track, I guess, like... Uh, yeah, yeah, another one coming in like two weeks' time, so yeah, watch out. Um. <laughs> New one coming, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the thing is, it really came from that, like from trying yeah. to find myself and trying to find yeah. my core and being happy with what I was doing. And I know that's... Like, it sounds really, like, spiritual and, and sort of esoteric. But it was very much like, um, instead of trying to pigeonhole myself into this or that or the other, just yeah. do what you want and then put it out and then just see what happens. Because through those two EPs, they're so different. One's yeah. a 200 BPM EP. Another one is, like, a hard style that sounds like it's from 2009. Right. You know? And, they're <laughs> completely, and then the other tracks that are around that are different as well. There's two, like, UK hardcore tracks. Um, so, um, when I found that desire of like, um, I'm just going to do what makes me happy and then do like, cr um, fulfill the ideas that I think are exciting and realize that stuff and, 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 and see it through all the way. Um, then I, I realized I was just way more productive. Yes. Um, so much more productive because it became a joy to be back in the studio and to, and to do my things. Um, yeah. I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that 10 tracks. I was kind of like, oh, dude, I, I feel like I was working slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen uh, so many guys um, 
being like really miserable because they're following following what's hot right now you totally. know um you know music change it is what it is and you know if uh you you know still kind of like one style but it's not relevant anymore and then like let's say you're you are like a hardcore producer and now you got to go to up tempo but you really dislike it but you force <laughs> yourself to do it because that's hot right now there yeah. i see a lot of guys getting like really miserable and really For hate sure. their life hate being in a studio hate being on stage and then you ask yourself why are you doing that you know totally and this is the thing like um i totally resonate with that feeling because that's kind of the feeling that I had just before I burn out and, and call it quits. But then I was like, what if I just do those things, but the way I want to do them, like the general format of what it is that's expected and then just play with that a little bit right. and then do it my way, yeah. you know? Um, so, you know, I don't, I actually don't mind up tempo and I can understand it as a hardcore guy. It's such simple and basic music. Um, compared to some of the more c complex stuff um, that was around, you know, the Millennium Hardcore kind of thing. Yes. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of like, and, and then maybe this is because I've kind of been through the crucible of, of a burnout and, and come back. Um, now I'm like, well, okay, fair enough. It is what it is. Why don't I just take it as a challenge and yeah. prove something to myself? And that's another thing that I love doing and, and it's part of like my ideas book, finding something that is a challenge. And the grid is another perfect yeah. example of that, yeah. which is, I, I don't think I've ever heard Synthwave and Hardstyle before. And it seems like such a ridiculous thing to put together. Well, that's the challenge. That's yes. the thing. And let's go and explore that and, and do it my way. And, yeah. and that's, 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 that's really the key. So I can totally feel what those guys are feeling where they're kind of like, oh, you know, oh, uh, somebody like... Um, um, let's see, uh, Mad Dog, right? Like, oh man, you know, I'm not feeling what's going on on, on this record label or whatever. It's just like so basic and, and there's no soul and spirit. Totally. But at the same time, I think that's what Mad Dog, what pushed Mad Dog to release a track like Reset, right. which is like, it is kind of fast hardcore. It can be played by an up-tempo guy, but it's done his way. Yes, so yes, yes. I, I can understand the, the struggle and the, the frustration, but then when you learn how to harness that, yes. twist it a little bit and then make it your own, that's awesome. And you can get cool results out of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there, you know, you really got to pay attention that you still keep the fun level high in the studio. Totally. Because um, those the guys who get like really miserable, they get way too serious, you know, they get way too business minded and mm -hmm. they they act more like robots, you know, okay, what's hot right now? Let's load it up. Let's kind of copy it. And, you know, um, totally. that's that's what's um, what's actually unfortunately, but it, it's uh, it's always been like that. You know, if you go Absolutely. to metal, you know, there are a couple of bands which stand out and then yeah. there are thousands of bands. They sound exactly the same. There's no, like no point to be there. I mean, unfortunately, that's always been like that, but um, mm. Yeah, so I mean, I've been uh, I've been tuning into like I, I've just bought myself a guitar, right? And um, I don't know how to play the guitar. Uh, I'm just gonna say that right now, so don't expect me to become some you know huge prodigy or, or whatever. Um, but through the process of learning it and looking up YouTubers and, and looking up um, YouTubers that, that specialize on metal, um, there's this one guy and he had a really cool soundbite and he, he said, um, "Take what you do seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously." And I think that's golden advice, Very especially, 
especially when it comes to thinking of the business world of music. Yeah. Take what you do seriously. Absolutely, apply yourself 100%. Make sure that you, what you do is satisfactory for you and it's the, you know, like you properly doing something. But at the same time, don't, don't take yourself too seriously, man. Yeah. Life is short. Nobody gets out alive. Very powerful. Very powerful. Um, okay, keeping the eyes on the time. Don't want to hold you up for too long. Uh, oh, I got good. two more questions. Um, if now a beginning producer comes up, maybe 15 years old, and he walks over to you and say, Sam, you got so much experience. Do you have one, like, can you give me your best piece of production advice? Oh, What would it be? That's really hard, I guess. I think, I think the thing that helped me the most was like, make sure that your listening experience is good and accurate. So make sure your room is good and make sure you've got good monitors. Um, just that alone um, helped raise my level so much um, because you, know, you can have great speakers in a crappy room and it sounds terrible. You can uh, be working on headphones and you're not going to get the right sort of perspective of, of how your sound, sound is. Um, so just getting that at a fundamental level ready at an early age uh, is, is great advice, um, I think anyway. And uh, I mean, it, it's tough because, you know, whenever people ask me for advice, I always ask them where they're at, you know, like what's, yeah. what's the situation like? Because just because somebody's 15 doesn't necessarily mean that they're like just learning how to sequence beats. They could be like a really, really awesome producer that just needs a bit of mix down advice or, yeah. and, and, and guidance. Uh, so it's really I tough mean, like something, something, maybe, maybe something like the most important thing that you know now where, where you would say, um, if I knew that earlier, you know, I would have improved much faster. Like, for instance, I would say, I always tell everybody, don't forget to make music. People okay. uh, obsessed with kicks, they spend yeah. like two years with kicks before they even start making a track. I always say like, do, you know, work on kicks, get the craft done, but, you know, take a sample from a sample pack or whatever, but don't forget to work on music because once you got your kick after a couple of years, you still kind of need to figure out how to do the rest. Absolutely, you need to know how to use it. <laughs> that, that would be like my my advice, like, you know, uh, like what I, would, what I would say, like, don't forget about making music. Okay, so mine is... Uh, similar end goal, but different phrasing of a, of a different thing. So it's definitely keeping your mind on the music, but that's like find people around you that can help you keep your mind on the music. So what I mean by that is find a manager. I wish I had a manager or somebody to sort of guide me a little bit when, when I started out because I didn't. There was no um, uh, mentor. There was no bigger DJ that reached down and, and, yeah. and guided me. It, I, I didn't have anybody. I was like completely sort of out there fluttering. And I think that is alone is such a huge help, uh, having a manager or a mentor that can guide you to sort of help you focus on your craft and on your music uh, so that you can develop. Because nothing's more frustrating, uh, at, at least for me these days, is like, okay, I've got all these emails I've got to answer. I've got this person to, to do things for. And, to, and I spend out, you know, maybe so much time away from the studio by the time I get to the studio that I'm completely exhausted whereas a manager might be able to make the marketing decisions of like okay we need to post this we need to do this we need to uh, a good idea would be to see if I can get a remix pack for this track or that sort of thing um, you know that sort of that sort of stuff uh, can go a long way in yeah. helping somebody grow uh, quickly I think um, yeah. 
Yeah, but it's it's about that, like just keeping the mind on the music. Yes. Okay, my second question would be if you got also business advice, probably that was it. Get the manager. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the thing. Like, um, like we mentioned beforehand with the ghost production, um, different people are strong in different areas, um, right. and different people have talents in different areas. Some people are. are way more business minded um, and can can really smell an opportunity and know how to craft what could be a seed into a beautiful uh, uh, result. Um, some people are better suited to uh, being content creators and being able to focus on what they do and to really come up with awesome stuff. They just need a little bit of guidance or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got the gardener and you've got the garden. Um, both need each other. Um, so find your gardener or find your garden that's probably the best business advice that i can give somebody um some people are able to do it all but i don't think anybody is able to do it all forever and um, and also really good all and good. also good exactly yeah. right exactly i mean you right. can do everything but doesn't mean that you're gonna do everything good you know totally totally right yeah cool so, yeah. so you got do you want to say something before we wrap it up or you got something to pluck now is the time oh that's a that's a good question i mean this you know if you're uh if you're bored jump on uh, spotify listen to my music <laughs> we need those streams more than ever now that we don't have any shows um i'm working on a sample pack and a preset pack that should be out i don't know when uh, it's this, there's a lot of preset packs and a lot of good ones out at the moment, so the pressure is on to make mine really good, yeah. uh, which is kind of tough. But uh, whenever I get around to finishing it, uh, um, that is coming soon, very soon. I think this week was supposed to be dedicated to to finishing that bad boy off. Um, What's it going to be about? Hardstyle? It's going to be it's going to be a predominantly hardstyle, hardcore focused kind of pack. So lots of screeches, um, lots of effects. Like it's mainly focused on. If you don't know anybody, so the type of person that would need a preset pack, if you don't know anything, don't know anybody, and you just want to get some cool sounds out of the box without having to tweak too much, yep. then this is probably the pack for you to just go and grab it. If you're an experienced producer that's looking for signature sounds, this is not the pack for you. Um, the, it, there might be one or two things that sort of make its way in there, maybe a kick or two, or maybe a, a, a growl or something like that. But most of what I'm preparing is mainly for uh, the 15-year-old kid that is learning how to produce and needs some sounds that are tweakable, um, but also that are pretty cool out of the box. And that's kind of what I'm going for. Where is it going to be so, released? Oh, that's a that's a very good question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I know that Zartox has got his ZTX labs and he was asking for me to do something. So I yeah. think I'll probably release yeah. with him and, uh, and do something like that. I mean, I had a couple of other interested parties. Maybe it might go up and splice or pff, I, I have yeah. no idea. For me, I'm more focused on like making sure that the pack is good. Yeah. rather than like trying to make a quick buck because nothing dude you've had this before when you've bought a pack and you've heard like a couple of sounds you're like these sounds are awesome hopefully the pack is awesome and then you get it and you're like what a waste of time oh so i want to avoid that feeling um, how long how long you've been working on it oh dude it's been like off and on for oh, for a couple okay. of months so it's yeah. it's not like a i've been seriously working on it for the past yeah. three months and it's the most amazing pack ever it's been like oh i've got some spare time you know let's make some screeches or you know he's a cool reverse bass or yeah. he's an up tempo kick you know and um and and that sort of filters its way into the pack and that will be out whenever it's done <laughs> yeah i mean like now with the pandemic it's um like very floated with um a lot of packs and presets and stuff i mean exactly. i've been doing that shit since five years now with uh packs yeah. and stuff I saw. And 
if I see the amount of um, stuff they're shitting out, I mean, I, mm. I make like those kick packs because, um, you know, especially the beginners and stuff, they really like it. Yeah. And I spent like up to three months on that. And I mean, like, oh, you know, totally. I, get it. I, I almost don't produce. So uh, I just uh, make packs. And when I see like others, it's like 200 up tempo kicks. Next week, 500 up tempo kicks. Like, <laughs> how, how the fuck do you do that? Either, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it's I, crazy. Yeah, it is. It is. And you said it's also gonna uh, have some presets, probably serum. It's, or it's, what? it's mainly it's mainly a serum preset pack, and then I'll fill it up with like other stuff that is good as well. So some juicy kicks and uh, kick and bases and stuff like that. Um, but mainly a serum preset pack, just so that you know. I figure there's plenty of kick packs as you've mentioned beforehand, and that's fine. That's awesome. Um, not to take away from them, but like you need stuff over the top of it as well. You need some leads. You need some yeah. screeches. You yeah. need some risers. You need some like little bell sounds and pads. So um, putting a little pack together that can be the glue uh, to uh, create a tune. Um, that's kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Keep hey, me tell me about the guitars in the back. What do you got going on? Oh, I mean, I've sold uh, my good guitars. Those are uh, which have sentimental value. Okay. The acoustic that you see, that's kind of a Honar or whatever, this German brand. And right. It was like my very first guitar ever when I oh, was cute. like 12. Oh, cute. Um, this one is just like I got it as a present. It's like a cheap as fuck thing. And where's my third? Oh, it's here. <laughs> one sec. That's uh, like the standard Yamaha Pacifica. That's kind of a, you know, okay, going, going for thing. the strat kind of thing. Yeah. 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 It's like with a humbucker and everything. Uh, nice. It's also like, it was my first electric guitar. So, got it. Got um, it. I'm not like too much in guitars nowadays, actually. You know, I haven't okay. touched them for like 10 years. So, oh, really? Yeah. I, I used to have like a good collection, but at some point I sold them all and I just kept those which aren't worth anything, but got a lot of sentimental value for me. Got know? it. <laughs> so, so, look, I mean, because I've been having a discussion with my girlfriend at the moment. Uh, how many guitars is too many guitars? Uh, I think always plus one. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, but is, is four too many? No. No. Four is not too many. Okay. No. Okay. What about what about eight? Because I was talking to Deviate before. I was talking to him this morning, and he's got eight at the moment. No, I guess I guess with eight you're pretty good covered. Because you know, uh, you want to have like a classic acoustic. You want to have mm -hmm. a western. You know, you want to have a strat. You want to have a yep. Les Paul. You gotcha. maybe want to have something more fancy. You want to have a seven string. You know, <laughs> you, you mm. want to have all mm. that shit. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I think with eight you're pretty much there. Okay, so, okay, so, so but yeah, okay. I think I think four four is, is is definitely not too many. Okay, so that's the perfect ammunition. I'm going to tell her that when I get yeah. home today. That's the first thing I'm going to say. Oh, look, I, I I check with the guys. <laughs> four is enough. Four is cool. Don't complain. Four yeah. is awesome. <laughs> it's it's uh, the same thing, like you know, like synth plugins and shit. Like, oh, absolutely. It, there's absolutely. always one more that you can have. Like totally, man. I'm waiting for Black Friday. You have no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm waiting for Me Black too. Friday. It's, what, it's, what, uh, what's what, what what do you got your eyes on? Oh, Sooth 2, for sure. Sooth 2. Um, just because there'll be moments, you know, maybe where there's a vocal or something um, that just is just being a little bit annoying and there's some certain resonances. And Sooth is awesome, but 
I never got around to buying it last time. So um, I want to get that one. There's a couple of Melda plugins that I want to get as well. And fingers crossed, uh, Zynaptic has a Black Friday sale as well because Morph is really, really awesome for sound design. And um, I want to buy it. That simple. Nice. So yeah, uh, some of the Melda ones, uh, Ook Sound uh, do some fantastic stuff. But yeah, I think as you dive further into your uh, production journey, the plugins that you need uh, more esoteric and kind of weird and uh, yeah. more expensive. <laughs> do you, do <laughs> Way you more have, expensive. Do you, do you have the feeling, because uh, I had the discussion with somebody else before, uh, you know, this is kind of the typical journey of a producer, at least like it was mine and I heard it from many people. You start, you don't know mm. shit, right? You do whatever yeah. you want, it's cool. Yeah. Then you get like really anal about plugins, like, you know, you want like specific EQ, specific compressors, like you compress everything, like you get really mm -hmm, mad mm -hmm. about it. You read everything, 1176 on that, LA2 <laughs> on that, yep, you know, yep. and at some point you really don't give a fuck. It's like, you yeah. know, Ableton plugin, Ableton EQ, yeah, all the way through, whatever. It sounds good, sounds good. Like you, 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 you really kind of ease up and like, okay, I need a compressor or whatever, just toss a compressor. Uh, as long as it does what I want it to do, it's fine. I don't care if it's like, you know, UAD totally. or like Ableton internal or Cubase internal or whatever. Totally, totally, yeah. totally. So that, that, that uh, growth of a producer is sort of like where people start getting their own sound. And I get that question a lot. Like, how do I find my own sound? What do I do? And it's through that process, that exact process where you like, you don't care, then you care too much. And yeah. then you kind of don't care again, but then there's certain things that just stick in your head. And at that point, and, and it can take a, you know, a long time, it can take a short time. At yeah. that point where you've passed the caring too much and you're back into the don't care zone, but you've got a couple of favorites, that's where you really start to have your yeah. own sound. And, and that's really awesome. I think where people have their own signatures, I'm like, yeah, really, really cool. Because I totally recognize that, man. Like, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> I, I've, I've got the, the soft tube FET because I was like, oh, 1176, you've got to use this everywhere. Yeah. And then uh, and, and going for their version of the, I think it was the LA-2A. Um, I can't remember which one it is. The TLA compressor or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to use that everywhere. And, and, and the thing is, like, for hard music, analog compressors don't really add that much. Right. Um, yeah, you're better off with saturation and shit, you know. Ex yeah. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. right. Like it, it doesn't make that huge of a difference in the end result. If anything, it might take it away. Um, right. There was a there was a while where I was using like the Slate VCC and the VTM on every channel. Like I'd finish the track and like right, gonna go through the process. I'm gonna need two days to mix this thing. VCC VTM on everything. Um, and did it the, the way that a band did it and, and yeah. um, you know, having the proper buses and everything and that sort of thing. And in the end, I felt like the transients were kind of lacking. The, the, it was warm, but dance music isn't warm. Yeah. It's punchy. It's aggressive. Uh, particularly uh, the faster that you go, the less it makes sense to have all these sorts of esoteric or proper classic yeah. uh, uh, plugins uh, that, you know, EQs and compressors and all that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, coming out the the end of that is where I think you you yeah. you have your sound. Been been there, done that. You know, I got like the <laughs> uh, subscription for the Plugin Alliance bundle, so all I got right. them all. Beautiful oh, plugins, nice. but I catch myself almost never using them. You know, yeah, maybe totally. when I make like drum breaks and stuff, or like you know, work on specific certain sounds, but 
in the production process, I kind of don't use them too much, to be honest. Mm. Like I, I want, I know what I want, and I want it quick. And you know, I got my tools, and um, yeah. So, <laughs> and, and that's that's really it. Like you know, if we can go back to like what advice we could give the fifteen-year-old guy, um, I guess the other bit of advice that I would give to him is like learn your tools. Yes. Learn what you've got and learn them inside out. It's so easy as a younger producer to be like, oh, I want this synth, I want this plugin, give me everything. I need this to make music. Yeah. Well, yeah. not not really. You always really. you also always think like you see some video somewhere on YouTube and it's like this guy is using it. So, uh, I need this because I can't do it otherwise, you know. That's that's also totally. like a, a, a classic thing, you know. I remember Absolutely. when when Angerfist done uh, his uh, his masterclass like every producer I talked to Use plugins which you never heard of before, you know, like those Ohm Force uh, Quad Fromage or what it's called, like, you know. <laughs> really? <laughs> Nobody ever is using it. But after he done that masterclass, like, everybody had that plugin because all of a sudden you can't make a kick without that anymore, you know. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Just because he's using it doesn't mean, like, you know, you can't do something like that otherwise. Totally, totally. Yeah. I know. I, I absolutely recognize that. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's the that's part of your growth process as well. It's right. like like once you understand like your tools or even what the plugin is doing that you thought you wanted to buy, when you understand what that is and how it's getting there, maybe you know, you can go there a different way. You can get to that same place in a bit of a different way and that'll teach you more about the tools that you've got, right. you know? Um, and I'm I'm a big believer in that. Like where I'll okay, so what are they really doing here? Like what what is really going on in this track? Do I really need the thing? Yes, no. No, I can and, and actually that's how I started to discover what was going on with the logic clip distortion. Like do I really need it? What's what's going on here? Uh, what is this symmetry thing? How is it all working? And then through the process of like, oh, Ah, I understand what it's doing. It's you know the symmetry is doing this, or or the, the the tone is doing that, or whatever. I can replicate that kind of with other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. It might be a bit of a pain in the butt uh, to get there, and, and and fortunately now there's you know alternatives if you're on PC. But uh, at the time I was sort of like, oh well, that's kind of how you get there, and that's kind of how you you do that, and that sort of thing. And then understanding my own tools a lot better of you know instead of just looking at the thing that somebody else had that yeah. I really wanted to get. I mean, yeah. there are some cases where that is absolutely the case, you know, for sure. Like, but they're um, very rare. They're very yeah. rare. Also, like, the clip distortion is a good example. Uh, as soon as you figure out how to make your wave asymmetrical and you put any type of clip, of course, not going to be exactly the same, but who mm. wants exactly the same thing? You know, you want mm -hmm. that sound and you definitely can figure it out. And there are a lot of tools, even like the um, from Melda, the M Wave Shaper. There you can mm. also switch to asymmetrical. Mm, and mm, mm. Uh, you can also get very close with that one too. So, mm. <laughs> you know, totally. Yeah, absolutely. For, accessible for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been using the Cubase Destroyer or the um, Mistortion, actually. Yeah, really uh, good to, one. To, yeah, Doesn't really, work on really fucking cool. Carolina, though. Ah, uh, uh, well, yeah. you should send her a message. Send her a message. And yeah, say, I should. Hey. I should. Also, like, Nimble Kick uh, works only as an audio unit, not as a VST anymore. So Send her a message. I thought she updated that, like, in uh, the latest update, 1.04. Yeah, I, I got it, but still doesn't oh. work. Uh, yeah, she's she's pretty receptive and um, pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, should, Nimble's pretty should. awesome. She's pretty yeah. cool. But, uh, yeah, man. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I think, um, and I'm a big believer in this, like, Truly understanding where you're trying to go, um, try and get there with the tools that you've got. Uh, 
yeah. rather than just to you know grab whatever you can to, to get there like and that's a bit of a longer journey um, but you understand so much more and, and and I think as producers like we never really stop learning um, and so being open to that process of like oh okay well I need to what what is it really doing oh I, I grab like this or go like that like yeah. what what is the yeah and that helps so much absolutely man thank you so much for taking the time to speak to our small little community my pleasure and yeah hopefully we're gonna do it again sometime definitely man just send me an email and we'll lock it up <laughs> all right man thank you very much all right boys and girls this is it for this episode don't forget this podcast is available as a video on youtube and as an audio on spotify apple podcast and wherever you get your podcasts from to find out more about Audio Freak and also to follow him, check the links in the description. We will be back next week with another episode. So make sure you subscribe, you like, you support that podcast in any way, share it with your friends, do whatever you feel is right. And thanks for tuning in. I see you next week. Bye bye.